Hey friends, it's Chrissy. Remember back in the day when our summer plans included a road trip? Well, I want to invite you on our Hello Freedom Summer Road Trip Series, super old school. We were going to take a podcast break this summer, but I really felt the Lord leading me to record some conversations with people who have a story to tell of how God showed up and led them to freedom from eating disorders and other food and body image struggles. Now, full transparency, these will be a little more raw and unedited, so you'll hear more background noise like lawnmowers and dogs barking and birds chirping and air conditioners kicking on and off. I mean, it's summer after all. Um, And when I forget to take myself off of mute and there's dead silence, you're gonna hear that too. All the outtakes will be left in, so get ready for that. Um, But my prayer is that you'll be encouraged and inspired by these brave overcomers and find hope for freedom in your own life. So put on your sunglasses, roll the windows down, and crank up this Hello Freedom summer road trip episode of the Old School Food Freedom Podcast. Welcome to the Old School Food Freedom Podcast, brought to you by your friends at Finding Balance. I'm your host, Chrissy Kirkman. On this show, we kick it as old school as it gets with how God created us to live free from dieting, food rules, and body shame. Ready to replace the old soundtrack of cultural lies with biblical truth? Let's start with this. You don't have to be trapped by food struggles. You were created to be free. God adores you and wants you to experience the fullness of life without body hatred or bondage to dieting. The time is now to take a step toward the life you were created for. We're so glad you're here with us today. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to have you here to share your freedom story on our Hello Freedom Summer Road Trip series. Thanks for like cruising along with me. Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely honored to be a part of this. Yay. Friends, let me tell you about Taylor Coote. She holds a Master's of Social Work from Spring Arbor University. She previously worked with United Way and other nonprofit organizations through grant writing, grant management, and strategic planning with a focus on eating disorder fundraising. After being introduced to Finding Balance way back in 2014 through her own healing journey, Taylor desires to one day help and encourage others in their own journey to freedom. Hey, here we are doing just that. Yes, (laughs) Um, so exciting. Yeah, she's now a stay-at-home mom and is devoting her free time to using her gifts and talents as Finding Balance's grant writer and manager. Taylor lives in Pennsylvania with her husband and their sweet little daughter. We are so excited that you're here. We'd love kicking off our show with an old school item you miss from back in the day. I cannot wait to hear it because girls, guys, friends, Taylor is younger than me. She, she's not yet 30. So I always love having young, fresh kids. <laughs> I'm going to call you kid. Um, here and just to know, like, what is your old school item? What do you consider old school? You know, I thought about this the other day and I was in my daughter's room. She has a bunch of stuffed animals and she has one of those like modern beanie babies. And I just miss the 90s beanie babies. Like hers, it's like, it's a really cute little unicorn and it's purple and pink and it has wings. And I'm thinking, you know, where are the real animals? Like beanie babies doesn't make those real 
genuine 90s Beanie Babies anymore. And I just really miss those. I used to have totes full of them and I'd play with them all the time. Oh. And I just think it's so nostalgic to see it. And it just made me really miss it the other day when I was cleaning up her room thinking she should get to experience this, but I have no idea where mine are. So oh, you won't. didn't like sell them on the, on eBay or on some market. Everyone said that they were going to be worth like millions of dollars. I don't think they are. Honestly, yeah. they're probably still in my grandparents' basement. <laughs> Oh, you might want to get those out. That's know, so right? cool. Yeah. And you know, I love about what I love about Beanie Babies is that feeling. I'm a really sensory kind of person. So to, I can, like, as you were describing it, I could feel on my fingertips the feeling yes. of the, the beans or whatever's going yes. on inside of a Beanie Baby. Feeling that and just like, it's almost like a stress ball, like stress yes, reliever. It is. Oh, so it's like sweet. the perfect stuffed animal. Yeah. Okay. That's a great old school item. 90s. I was in high school babysitting kids like you. No, you weren't born. You probably weren't even born. When were you born? 94. 94. Okay. Yes. I would have been babysitting infants like you in high school. It's all good. With Beanie Babies. (laughs) With Beanie Babies. We would have been playing. It would have been great. All right. Well, Taylor, you want to share with us just a little bit about, about your background of your life leading up to your struggle. Now, um, you know what, I'll just start there and let's let's hit it. Yeah, for sure. So growing up, I really came from, there's no other way to describe it, but a dysfunctional family. My parents divorced before I could remember. I had two older, older siblings. Um, one of them moved with family across the country. My older brother moved down with our dad. And so I lived with our mom by myself until I was like preteen. And then my grandparents raised me from there on. So a lot of instability in that. I think kind of created the perfect storm for the enemy to sneak in with these lies about things like Mm -hmm. my body image or my self-worth. But on top of that instability, I also had a mom who had her own problems with food and exercise and body image. And so seeing that displayed in my mom, this, this figure in my life, seeing her being concerned about what she weighed or what she ate or what she didn't eat really helped me normalize that as a very young child. And you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, that's when the word for it now is diet culture, when diet culture was kind of exploding. And every time you went to the grocery store, you saw thin models or ways to look your best or ways to lose weight. And so that paired with what I was seeing at home made all of these things seem very normal. And so growing up, those food and body image struggles were very apparent, but I didn't see any problem with them because it was what everyone else around me was doing or or so I thought. And so I really think that instability and that modeled behavior kind of create, created that like path for disordered eating later, later on. Yeah. Wow. You know, as you were sharing that, it just seems like that, that, um, that's a very repeatable scenario. I guess I'll say is mm-hmm. that, that so many people repeat are just saying the same thing about how they watched their mom or parent or whatever dieting. And then that paired with cultural, whatever was going on the cultural and all these diet foods and like low fat, low this and that, um, low weight, smaller size, all of it together made it look like that's literally what we're supposed to do. Why would we question it? Why would we Mm-hmm. even wonder if this is the right path or not and when dr lisa shanks and i were speak sorry it was i was speaking to dr lisa shanks class at ccu um colorado christian university and um and some feedback after sharing 
uh, my story and there are like several other people were sharing their their stories um for like an eating disorder topic week um for grad students and uh, and some feedback that came came back was there were girls just feeling like i'm so afraid now to be a mom i don't want to mess up my kids one day i'm so scared and like the point is like okay just know that's the enemy if, if you feel that right now and you're you're hearing this and you're like oh no i just that's not even going to be for me because i don't want to mess up my kids just grace for yourself just know that Things are so different now. We know so much more about how, like, how damaging it, we've lived, how damaging it was. Some of us are still feeling the effects of the damage and still trying to get out of it. A lot of people are. It's okay. It's don't let the enemy shame you. And Taylor, you may even have had those feelings yourself being a mom now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just being a mom and knowing that I want to break that generational cycle. Um, really drives me every day and what I'm doing with my daughter. My daughter's only two now. So, you know, we're not quite to that that level of um, the adolescence yet, but just having a solid base, like eating family meals together, being around her, helping her try new foods. Obviously, at two years old, she really loves cheese cubes and yogurt. Um, so Same. we just build <laughs> off that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then it comes back in adult, adulthood. Um, but just being sure that I'm modeling a good self-image for my daughter is a really a huge motivator for me um, just every day. You you said empowering words that I think if anyone had those triggering feelings of like, oh, I just don't want to mess up my kids. Listen to what Taylor just said. She made the choice. She is she is choosing and being intentional. I am going to break that curse, that generational. I'm breaking it stops with me. If I, like you have breath in your lungs, I have breath in my lungs, I can choose. Like it doesn't matter what I've done for 45 years. That's in the past, I cannot change it now. But what I can do is see what's around me, what God is putting into my path and make better decisions for myself and my family and those around me, our church, our church culture. What are we doing there, you know? Like, so yeah, it's, it's um, gosh, we, we have, we have the ability to do that. Okay, Taylor, back to this. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, no problem. And y'all, that's what this is about. It's conversations. So we may steer a little bit left, but that's okay. So tell us how and when did you begin to recognize that you had a strained relationship with food? So like I said, I think it was kind of ingrained in me from a young age. I remember being eight and engaging in eating disorder behaviors, but not seeing any problem with it because, you know, again, that's what was being modeled for me everywhere. Um, but it really wasn't until middle school or high school, I think, that I started to recognize that the way I saw my body and myself was different than my friends who had a more healthy mindset or from other people who had a more healthy mindset. And I remember, I don't remember what grade I was in in high school, but I remember sitting in my room one night and I was pretty deep in my eating disorder at this point that I didn't really think I had. And I was sitting on the floor and I had a floor length mirror across from me. And I remember looking in that mirror from across the room and thinking, I am not okay. But in that same thought, I also thought, and I don't care because I could recognize that I had a problem with food and I had a problem with exercise and I had all these different things going on in my mind but I didn't care that I was having those problems because I was still getting the quote unquote results, if you will. Like I was doing well in sports. I was doing well in school. I had all the extracurriculars. So it didn't matter to me that I wasn't okay because the enemy was telling me, but this is what you need to be doing to do X. And because I was achieving, it didn't matter that I wasn't achieving in a healthy mindset. 
powerful achieving. I think that there's so many people that are wired or taught, maybe not even wired, maybe taught, conditioned to achieve, 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 whether it's grades, it's sports, um, you know, the arts, whatever that is, our bodies, (laughs) um, modeling, I don't know. And even into your adulthood, then it becomes your work, your job, your parents, you know, being a parent um, and and parenting and then having your kids achieve. That is, ooh, there's there's good stuff about achieving and finding balance with achievement and um, what God wants uh, for us, right. what he's really calling us to do. So did your eating struggles... Um, do you feel like they began? I feel like you kind of already shared this. You, there wasn't like one single comment that happened. It was more of a gradual decline because of what you saw in culture and your mom, be you know, modeling that. Is that true? Yeah, I think it was definitely a gradual kind of descent into that. And any single comments that happened along the way were all self-inflicted. Oh. So I never had, you know, that bully in middle school or that kid in elementary school telling me that my thighs were too big or whatever. That was me. I was my bully. And me having those self-inflicted comments really continued to fuel the struggles as I got older. Um, Because I have noticed from a very young age, there was no one that could be as mean to me as I was to myself. And the enemy really used that in the eating disorder to continue to push me downward. Gosh so true like i relate more than you know yeah Mm -hmm. i feel that way um how so how did how did disordered eating show up in your daily life like what did that look like so during my academic career which is really when i struggled the most um through high school and college i'd say were kind of the peak times um just daily life surrounded i would i would think about food i'd think about exercise i'd think about doing behaviors when i could those were my priorities my priorities weren't school my priorities weren't friends they weren't extracurriculars it was when i could get my hands on my eating disorder because if i was able to do the behaviors that my eating disorder wanted me to do then everything else would fall into place if i could just get to a certain weight then i'd be happy or then i'd get a good grade and if i got bad grades it would just directly go back to the eating disorder well that's because you did x y and z that's why you got a b minus on your test and so every single day I was just bogged with all of these feelings of thinking about food, thinking about when I would or wouldn't eat or when I'd exercise or what I would exercise or what I wouldn't do. And it was just this constant cycle. And I really struggled to sleep in high school because I was constantly in that cycle. Um, In high school is when Pinterest came out. Um, So I would spend hours on Pinterest pinning like the latest workouts or I think they called them fitspo models or recipes that I would never allow myself to eat or recipes that I considered healthy and I had notebooks full of it looked like I was studying to become a dietitian because I just wanted to know everything I could about food because somehow if I knew enough then that would solve something and so just every day in my eating disorder was fueled by thinking about my eating disorder gosh I've lived that too Oh, and the enemy really lies. So what what ways did he did the enemy lie um, through all of that? And what what lies did you believe? Like, how did you act out what that you were believing these lies? So I think one of the biggest ones was just from a very early age, you are not enough, whether it's 
um, in my family or in school or in friendships or in my eating disorder. I think something that I really struggled with as I got sicker was thinking I'm not sick enough. And a healthy mindset, you don't think about being sick at all, but in an eating disorder, you know, I didn't weigh this amount or I didn't exercise this much or I didn't go to treatment this many times. And I had this lie thinking that I wasn't sick enough to to have the label of an eating disorder, so I was fine. So there's no problems. So that was a big lie that the enemy told me. And then another one was that I wasn't ever lovable and no one would be able to meet me where I am, know everything about me and still love me enough to be with me. I mean, I remember being in high school and even early college thinking, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids, partially for the reasons we already talked about. Like, I don't want to mess anybody up. I don't want anyone to see the real me. And so that was a big lie, I believe, for a long time. Stupid liar. He is such a liar. Oh, it just makes me mad. It breaks my heart. Right. I'm sorry that you felt that way. And I felt feel like a lot of people can relate to that, to feeling that way. I have felt that way. I get that. And my heart breaks. And that's the whole, the whole reason this show exists, is to help people know that, just call out the lies, just flat out call out the enemy and his lies um, and replace them with God's truth. And you by sharing your story and just being that transparent that's what you're helping us do thank you again for being on and sharing that so when did you realize that you needed help like you talked about the eating disorder mind you know when we're malnourished we're not thinking it's not high performance thinking it's i'm starving or i'm all I can think about is food because my body is craving food. Like I'm, mm-hmm. so, everything's so restricted, or um, you know whatever the the need is. But what steps did you take, and how did you know you really needed help? So I think that's kind of a twofold thing. Um, so even despite the dysfunctional childhood that I had, I never had a therapist or a counselor until I got to college. And so the first kind of fold in getting help was my freshman year of college. Uh, I was sitting in my dorm room and was really struggling with depression. At this point, you know, I didn't think I had an eating disorder. I kind of thought I left it in high school because apparently that magically happened when I graduated. For sure, right? And <laughs> lies! Other I, lies. Right, yes. right. <laughs> and I actually reached out to our counseling center at the school I went to. I was very fortunate because we had access to unlimited free counseling while we were students. Wow, yeah. So I reach out to this counseling center at the beginning of my freshman year and very polite in my email saying, you know, if you have any openings, I would love to talk to somebody. But if not, it's totally fine. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> and I really was not fine. And so that was the first time I had ever had any therapy. And I kid you not, I went to this therapist. I told him my name and I didn't speak for six sessions. Like I didn't talk. And it was by the grace of God that I kept going back to that office because I mean, realistically, I could have ditched it after one, after I sat for an hour and didn't say a word. What wasn't helping anything. Um, but God kept bringing me back, and eventually I was able to open up, and he was actually my therapist for the entire time I was at college, and very pivotal in my healing from my, rela- or from my eating disorder. But that was like the first fold of realizing I needed help, and it wasn't until months and months later that, you know, we revealed I still did have an eating disorder. Mm. Um, but that was very, very pivotal in the second step of realizing I needed help for my eating disorder. So in, when I was a junior in college, the summer before, my sister tragically passed away in an accident. Mm. And very unexpected, obviously. And it really put me in a whirlwind going into that semester. So coming off of a couple of years of college where I was already 
not doing well with my eating disorder, paired with this trauma, going into school. The last thing I wanted to do was to be at school, so I really just dove deep into my eating disorder that semester. I was not doing well in classes. They were all classes for my major. There was concern whether or not I'd actually pass some of them. Mm. I was not engaging with my friends. I was not doing the extracurriculars that I wanted to do. And it was a really dark time for me. And I was out one morning, November morning. It was cold. I was running. I stopped in like the middle of the road and I looked up and I said, okay, God, if you really want me to do this treatment thing or this recovery thing, which I don't think you do because I don't have a problem, (laughs) then make some very certain event happen. It was very trivial, but I thought it was so important at the time. And in my mind, it was going to be impossible for this trivial event to happen. And sure enough, 12 hours later, God made that exact trivial event happen. Yes. Come on. I'll get on with it later, but by his grace, I followed that, okay, you did it, so I'm doing it. Um, So those two moments, the the reaching out for counseling and then the knowing in that moment on that November morning that I needed help really were pivotal in my recovery. Like a full stop in the middle of the road, full surrender. Like I am here and and willing, let's do this. I was just so desperate at that point. I knew I was not doing well and I was like, fine. It, It had been a conversation, you know, should you go to treatment? And I'm like, no, I don't need to treat. I don't need treatment. I don't need to be anywhere, and just fully surrendered in that moment. That's so good. So, so he showed up for you. He he did exactly twelve hours later. Did what he what you asked him to do. Um, what what happened next? Yeah. So the next, it, it actually all happened very fast. I was in treatment by December. Wow. Um, and. He showed up in a lot of ways. I, um, that same night after this event had happened, I got on the computer, I found a Christian treatment center and I filled out like the little, fill out your name and let us contact you thinking, you know, they're not going to contact me. They probably have hundreds of people. Like I don't have a problem. Sure enough, get an email less than an hour later Mm -hmm. and we got the ball rolling on everything. I did an assessment. I actually did it with my therapist because I knew I couldn't be honest on my own. So that was very much God telling me that I needed that support. Um, And actually the treatment center that I went to did not take my insurance. And as anyone who's looked into treatment knows, it is very, very expensive. It's almost impossible to pay for it out of pocket. However, an anonymous donor was able to supplement my stay, and they gave me a huge scholarship in order to go. So God very much showed up in that way because I couldn't have otherwise gone to this specific Christian treatment center. And so other little things, you know, he kept opening doors for... It was okay for me to take a semester off because all of my classes lined up a certain way, and I'd still graduate on time or... My family members understood the problem. Um, I was dating my now husband at the time. Poor guy. Um, (laughs) He he grew up with brothers. He didn't know what an eating disorder was. Mm. And here I am, his girlfriend of a few months, saying, hey, by the way, I have an eating disorder and I'm going to an inpatient treatment facility next semester. Bye. (laughs) Um, But he was so gracious, and I'll talk about that a little later. Um, But God really showed up in our relationship as well. So sweet. I love hearing that. I'm excited to hear more about that, too. So you go into treatment. What happens? So first of all, the, the day before I went to treatment, I was on the bathroom floor Googling every possible combination of what do people look like in eating disorder treatment, and am I going to fit in an eating disorder treatment? 
Surprisingly enough, Google didn't have those answers for me. Um, but I was a very average body type. Um, I did not have anorexia. I did not have bulimia. I didn't fit in either of those categories. And I didn't have a diagnosis going into treatment, um, just that I had an eating disorder. And that, for me, made me feel invalid. The enemy told me, you know, you're not sick enough, just like I talked about earlier. So I was pretty convinced when I got to treatment that they would say, hey, you don't have a problem. And just kind of just let me go. Um, that did not happen. Instead, I met some really wonderful women there who were similar to me, had similar stories, and we were able to bond and connect over the fact that we wanted to get rid of this eating disorder. We wanted to heal. And when I got to treatment, I got a diagnosis of OSFED, the otherwise specified feeding or eating disorder. And for me, it was never about getting a diagnosis, but it was helpful in understanding what exactly I was because I didn't feel like I fit into any other bucket of the eating disorder diagnoses. Um, So getting to treatment was very eye-opening because like I talked about before, being sick enough was something that the enemy was constantly saying. And so I thought you know, going to treatment after they didn't kick me out, I'd finally feel like I needed help and I needed to be there. But the enemy tried to say as soon as I got there, well, you haven't been to treatment twice. And so I was able to put a stop to those lies at that point. But it was just so shocking to me how much my eating disorder, how much the enemy desired me to want to be sicker. Yeah. He schemes. So, yeah. He, yes. He very knows. Much so. He knows. He's not doing anything new. It's all the same things. And he knows our weakest spots and how to twist words. And yeah. Right. So like a typical day in treatment, you know, we we got there, I got checked in and everything. And a typical day is, you know, you wake up, you get your vitals and your weights. You don't see your weight when you're at treatment. Um, I also didn't have my phone while I was in treatment, which was incredible. Um, At first I was pretty mad about it, but (laughs) it was incredible. And then reintroducing my phone to me before I discharged was really helpful. Being able to, you know, go through my phone and delete those sick pictures that I had or delete the certain profiles that I had or the Pinterest boards or whatever else. Um, So that was one facet of it that was really helpful. But going through a typical day, you know, you wake up and you you have all the medical stuff done and then you have breakfast and then you have individual sessions. So those sessions could be with a therapist, a dietitian, a family therapist, a chaplain, um, anyone. And then you have, you know, a morning snack and then more individual sessions, lunch, And then you do group sessions in the afternoon. This is just where I went at the Christian Treatment Center that I was at. Um, Group sessions could be anything from equine therapy, which I did not like horses, so that was not my highlight, (laughs) um, to nutrition therapy, to cooking groups, to body image groups, and then an afternoon snack and dinner, um, and then some free time. You know, you could call loved ones on a good old-fashioned home phone. Um, Landline. I had to write write down the phone numbers of people on this, on a piece of paper that I wanted (laughs) to call because I didn't know. (laughs) What is this numbers? Talk about old school. Was it a rotary phone? Like (laughs) It was not a rotary phone, unfortunately. (laughs) Not that old school. (laughs) Um, But every day was pretty similar, and what was crazy to me was that when I wasn't in an individual session or when I wasn't in a group, I had to be still. Like, I was not good at that. I was always on the go. I was studying. I was running. I was exercising. I was thinking about food. But if I was not in a group or an individual therapy session, I was just still and there. And that was really hard for me to come to grips with. And it took quite a while for me to come to grips with that. Was that, would you say that was the hardest part of treatment? One of the hardest parts for sure was, was that being still and that giving myself time to think about really hard things. Yeah. 
as a reminder, my sister had passed just months mm-hmm. before, and I hadn't really grieved her death. Um, and I won't say that I grieved it at treatment either, but I started to then. And having some really hard things happen in my life, I had never thought about or talked about. And bringing those up in a very safe and controlled space was really good for me, but it was also really hard for me because it was a safe and controlled space that I couldn't use my eating disorder to distract from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would, what would you say the hardest thing about treatment was? Uh, for me, it was being vulnerable, um, allowing myself to be vulnerable in a space where, first of all, I didn't know people. Some people find that a lot easier. You go to treatment, you don't know anybody, you can tell all, the, all of your life details. Yeah. For me, I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't okay. Yes. Here I am sitting in an eating disorder treatment center as a patient, and I'm thinking, they must think I've got my life together. That doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> I didn't want anyone to know that I didn't have my life together, and so I didn't want them to know all of these different things about me. And so... The hardest part for me was surrendering, not only surrendering my eating disorder, but surrendering myself to God and looking to him for comfort and strength and for him to fight for me versus looking to myself and my eating disorder. Man, that's good. And like, as you're talking, it's, I can just hear the lies, the lies that the enemy's saying of like, um, yeah, you can't let these people in because they will think X, Y, or Z, like lie like how about they're here because they need help too right. <laughs> like we don't we're right. not like you just need to keep this to yourself no because it the disease just gets worse in isolation like bring it to the light he doesn't want us to bring any of this to the light he wants us to right. keep it in darkness um so it cannot be healed but it's just like having a band-aid on a sore like you've got to take like there is a time and a place for a band-aid but eventually that thing needs to come off so it can get air and sunlight and uh, and mm-hmm. begin to heal. Otherwise, it's just going to get worse <laughs> and gross. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to go back a little bit just to OzFed as a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You, you explained what that looked like to you. Are you able to like share like just I want it to be really clear for people. They're like, what is OzFed? What are some signs? Like if someone's like, well, I did, I, I recognize that I don't fit into anorexia or bulimia or I'm not sure, maybe binge eating. I don't know. Could I have OSFED? So OSFED, the way I look at it um, is more of like the catch all of I don't fit into these buckets of anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder um, because a lot of times people. So, for example, the anorexia, the DSM-5 criteria did take out BMI, but it still talks about weight and being significantly underweight. There might be someone of a normal body size with anorexia. Um, They'd fit more into OSFED because of the fact that they don't fit all of the DSM-5 criteria. So, signs and symptoms would be things very similar to other other eating disorders, like preoccupation with your um, body and your weight or thinking a lot about not wanting to change your body or weighing yourself multiple times a day. They could be all these same symptoms, exercising a lot, binging, purging, but the eating disorder is not just those things. Um, There's not just someone who doesn't eat and restricts. There's not just someone who binges and purges. There's not just someone who only binge eats. It's a combination of several of the different things. Um, So I think something to look out for is someone who may look quote-unquote normal, but they still have these thoughts and these actions behind the scenes that could indicate that they're struggling with an eating disorder, even if it's not one of the more well-known eating disorders. That's helpful. So it's like a, a 
potpourri, a, a cornucopia of, of different eating disordered behaviors in one that don't necessarily fall in line with specific categories that are more well known. Um, yeah. So right. if you're listening, feeling like, okay, that could be me. Look at our Christian Treatment Finder. If, if you're interested in like maybe needing help, ChristianTreatmentFinder.com um, to explore that. Or even on FindingBalance.com, we have a self-test that you can take an eating issues test to kind of see where do I stand with, with eating issues. That can maybe give you a little more clarity. And then we will provide resources and some guidance on what are some next potential steps for you. So... That kind of makes me think of something too, Taylor. Did you ever, like, I know that most of the support, initial support that you received was through the counseling center at your university. Did you ever seek help within your church or ask for prayer in your church or anything? Like, did you find support in your church? I really wish I had, but I did not. Um, And it was at no fault of the church at all. It was at my fault because when I was deepest in my eating disorder, I didn't go to church. Um nor would I tell anyone at church that I was struggling mm-hmm. because I wanted to show up my very best self for God every every Sunday when I went to Mass. I needed to be this perfect person, but that's not what it's about. Um, I thought oh, I needed to lies, have everything double, together. Lies, exactly. Double. And so I never let my church in to yes. the struggles. I remember in high school and even in college, there would be people that would kind of say something, you know, a little concerned, and i just dismiss it entirely, and then I'd skip church for however long to make sure that... No one could see me because I didn't want, I didn't want that, that part of my life to go in with the eating disorder. Wow. Are we getting aware of how he does some things? Like, I just think it's really important to keep calling it out. Like, I'm going to shout it out. Like, ridiculous. I mean, not, but, but no shame in that when we're going through it, that we don't recognize it Mm because we just, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And it takes this illumination like that light bulb moment to come on and and realize wow i got tripped up i didn't know i didn't realize it but once you know then you can take new steps yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so how did you see god show up for you and your family um during this really difficult process so i think god showed up for myself my family in a lot of different ways um number one was just being i lived with my grandparents from adolescence on like i mentioned earlier and my grandparents when i moved in with them were in their 80s so they're much later in life and they didn't know what an eating disorder was but with the help of my my therapist i was able to talk to them about it and tell them you know i need treatment and um they did the best they could and um they showed up in a lot of ways and god gave them a lot of grace for something that they did not understand um so God showed up in that way. God showed up in the relationship with my brother. My brother was able to come with our dad to some family therapy sessions, and it was really good for our relationship coming off of losing our sister. Yeah. And so I think that that made us a lot closer. Um, I Actually, after treatment, I lived with an aunt. My aunt has five daughters, and I was able to live with them for a semester when I was off from school and just see that normal family and that normal family dynamic with functional parents and there, there were mealtimes, family mealtimes, and there was just camaraderie in the family, and I wasn't used to that. So being able to see that was really powerful for me and my recovery. So God brought a lot of different people that I didn't know I needed at the time yeah. into my world. And then, like I mentioned before, my husband then boyfriend didn't know anything about eating disorders and so on the phone when i'm at this treatment center i mentioned to him hey i read this book life without ed it could have been written by me 
Um, I didn't tell him. That's all I told him. The man went and bought the book, read it cover to cover, took <gasps> notes in the sides to see how to best support me and what made sense. He's like, oh, I can see why you're, you'd think this way because the book says this. And he was able to talk to me about it. And God just really opened his eyes in a lot of different ways. And he didn't have to do that. We were just dating for a few months when I went off to treatment. But here he was putting all this time and effort into understanding what I was going through so he could best support me and help me get out of it. So God just showed up during that time. That is so good. I love, I gotta meet your husband. Give him a high five and a hug because that is amazing. I'm a little biased, but he's pretty great. (laughs) I mean, obviously he is. That's so cool. And like, also something I thought was really interesting is that um, you had this experience with, um, you know, with your family of like seeing healthy family dynamics modeled for you and experiencing that, um, which probably helped shape, like change, um, I don't know how to say this, like helped you as like Leia found a better foundation as a parent now. Absolutely. (laughs) My aunt, no, my aunt is absolutely one of my biggest role models just in not only as a person, but as a mom, Hmm. um, that semester truly changed my life, not only with treatment, but seeing the way a healthy family functions and how she parented her kids and how my uncle parented. Um, Just seeing that was just a really cool thing that I'm really glad I was able to do. That's so great. Um, Also wanted to mention that Life Without Ed was written by Jenny Schaefer. Um, I'll link that book in the show notes. We uh, have that on our, um, under our library, uh, like digital resource library. It's a book that we recommend to, um, and the audiences for, you know, those with eating disorders um, and or want to understand them better. So Mm -hmm. husbands, family members, loved ones, (laughs) you can read that too. Um, Okay, let me think. Oh, I want to know, were there any scriptures or Christ-centered activities like prayer partners, some kind of encouragement? You shared about the financial blessing that you received for treatment, Mm -hmm. but um, what helped you through this process? Um, Two scriptures really stood out to me while I was there. First one, I think it's Romans 5, 8. I loved you at your darkest. That just really hit me when I was in treatment because I, here I was coming into this place and, and I felt like I had seen so much darkness and I had been in so much darkness that God couldn't have possibly loved me through those times because if God had loved me through those times, why am I here? And hearing, you know, I loved you through your darkness or at your darkest um, was really powerful to me and it really highlighted unconditional love. So that was one that really stuck with me. And then another one was Exodus, I think it's 14, 14 maybe. Um, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Yes. And like I talked about, I struggled with stillness quite literally. And the chaplain at this treatment center I was at sat me down one day and she said, girl, like be still. And I was like, I can't do that. Like who's going to fight for me? I didn't say these words, but you know, who's going to do the things that need to get done if I'm still, I have to make sure that I'm doing okay financially or in school or whatever else. Like I have so many responsibilities. If I'm still, it's all going to, it's all going to collapse. And she said, Exodus 14, 14. And I was like, okay, great. (laughs) I didn't know what it was. And um, later on, I opened the Bible and read that. And I was like, oh, okay, here it is. Be still, whatever. Um, But as I was at treatment and even after, I really, really just absorbed that and was able to to be still and to trust in God, knowing that he's got 
the things that I'm stressed about are the things that I'm struggling with. Wow, that's I love those. I will definitely link those scriptures in the show notes as well, because uh, those are powerful. Th- these words, they're true words. Hey, let's replace lies with truth and um, and, and see see how much that helps you. Like it, it really does. Right. Um, so so describe for us what it was like leaving treatment and how life began. Like, I'm just going to kind of open this door and you can just take it where you want it to go. Um, maybe I've left treatment. Here's what life was like for a while. And now here's what life is like now. Yeah. So I think that it's really important to note that when I left treatment, I was not healed. Mm. I had started the journey to heal myself um, and I also don't want to say that, you know, treatment saved my life. Treatment taught me how to save my life with God's help. Um, but treatment didn't save me. It gave me the the tools that I needed to save myself. And leaving treatment, though I wasn't healed, I was in a much better place than I was walking inside. I had a lot of work that I had to do because, you know, I opened these wounds that had been closed off for so long. And I needed to continue to do the work to keep healing from those things. Um and to continue to do the work to keep healing for my eating disorder. So leaving treatment, like I said, I moved in with my aunt. I had to maintain that recovery, so maintain that meal plan, like, you know, the very logistic things. Maintain the meal plan, keep going to therapy, keep meeting with people. But I also had to actively combat the lies that I was so easily letting come in before I went to treatment. And so leaving treatment, going to a safe place in my aunt's house was really great. And then it was another transition to go back to school. So I left treatment and then I went back to school exactly where I was sick before. And that took a lot of cognizant planning with my therapist, who was very fortunately for me on campus and with my friends. I had to be very open with my friends and my supports, my now husband. So they all had to know kind of what was going on and where my mindset was so I could have accountability and so I could be in a more recovered mindset, being in school, being exactly where I was when I was sick. And so that everyday life shifted from always thinking about my eating disorder and how I can gauge in my eating disorder to thinking about how I can actively avoid my eating disorder. And so as I moved further from the kind of nitty gritty struggles of the eating disorder to more, these thoughts are occasional, these behaviors are occasional, it's not taking over my everyday life, but still not quite recovered to totally recovered and walking in freedom that middle step to the top step took you know continuing therapy even when I felt like I didn't need it continuing sessions with the dietitian even when I felt like I didn't need it because as I've learned I am not the expert (laughs) Um, and I need experts in order to help me help me in that journey and so it really took a lot of trust external trust in the people around me the professionals around me and it took a lot of trust in god to know that i would be okay without this eating disorder because i had had it for so many years and breaking free of it was really scary and it didn't happen instantaneously yes so good oh my gosh um and so now you're a wife and you're a mama like have you had to face like any unexpected like we know that there's some triggers and 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 disordered eating thoughts that come but like were there any unexpected challenges that you've faced with food and body image in this new season of life absolutely so i went to a school that a lot of people were engaged 
by the spring of their senior year, one of those schools. Uh And I always said it wasn't going to be me, and it was me. And I'm very happy (laughs) it was. So I got married after college, pretty shortly after. And so, first of all, the whole wedding atmosphere and eating disorder recovery do not go hand in hand. not at all. And so that was a pretty good challenge. I expected it, um, so I was able to build a lot of um, restraint against that. So I'm glad I expected it, but just FYI for people, if you're in the season of weddings, it it can be challenging in eating disorder recovery. So make sure that you put the good things in place to keep you in, in a recovery mindset. But once I got married and once we're living on our own, this is going to sound so silly, but you know, once you're once you're out on your own, you are responsible for every meal. <laughs> you have to make sure that you get every yes. meal in your body. No one's doing it for you. Even in college, I lived on campus, so all of my meals were taken care of by someone else. Yeah. I had to go get them, but... I didn't have to cook them. Right. Um, so being young and, and married, I'm learning how to cook because I wasn't a very good cook. And in fact, my husband would tell you that I just recently started cooking. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was a huge eye opener for me in that if I need to maintain recovery, I also have to maintain being an adult, oh. which sounds silly to say. But as a young adult, you don't think about that type of thing. So oh, little sister, just making it's still happening over here. <laughs> there are days I just do not feel like adulting especially when it comes to food it just know you are not alone that if you feel this if you relate to this friend we're over here having that challenge and having some tools and mentally with our mindset and we're we're having to do the work you're not alone if you need to uh just have a little pep talk or encouragement send us an email if you want prayer, right. prayer at findingbalance.com. We would love to pray for you. Keep going. Um, no, just having certain little meals that I could always go to yeah. was really helpful for my recovery. So things that would be very low effort and take a lot of, sometimes it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just to get something in me to yeah. make sure that I was maintaining a recovery mindset in those early years of being yeah. alone, well, being in a marriage and being an adult yeah. um, as we were working <laughs> adults, you know. And then with motherhood, I mean, pregnancy in and of itself, for me, I did not care about my changing body when I was pregnant because I knew that I was growing life inside of me. And that was a really powerful thing. Postpartum, totally different story. So I had had this baby and then you look on social media and you see these fitness models that are bouncing back from birth two days later and it's not real. Like it's not reality. And I had had a pretty um, not according to my plan birth with my daughter and that was hard for me to overcome. And so overcoming having this pregnancy body, having a child and then being in this postpartum time was really hard for my body image so I actually reached back out to the therapist and a dietitian right away in that postpartum period and was like help me because I know that if I don't get help now I could fall back into the same patterns so the really cool thing was that my husband's aware and I'm aware of those different types of triggers and so we're both able to call out when we see something wrong and I can put those good things in play to make sure I'm keeping that recovered mindset but ever since a few months postpartum I've found a very neutral stance with my body because my body gave me my daughter and my body can do amazing things now. So I am neutral about it. I don't hate it. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I don't, but I don't hate my body anymore. That's such a healed place to be, Taylor. I'm so proud of you. That is so good. Friends, grasp that. You might need to back it up 30 seconds and really let that one sink in. She didn't say, I love my body at all times. 
we don't I don't think it's even realistic to love our body at all times. Right. But to respect our body, to appreciate it for what it's done and what it is doing and what it can do. Total game changer. So good. Um, so you've given a lot of like really good encouragement, I think, to our, our friends here. If you could go back in time, what words of encouragement would you give to your younger self? I think to my younger self, I would really give the encouragement that things get better and they aren't as big of a deal as I made them out to be right in the moment. Oh, yeah. So, you know, in high school, the biggest thing ever was my grades and my extracurriculars and my sports performance. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not what life's about. What life is about is um, working for the glory of God, mm-hmm. being who God wants you to be, and being the person that God made you to be. And I would tell my younger self, you know, things get better and and you are able to do great things without the eating disorder holding you back. Yes. Oh, so good. And let's flip this. What encouragement um, or what what would you like parents to know if there's a parent or a loved one supporting a daughter or son go, who's going through treatment, who's struggling with their own eating disorder and needs to get treatment or you see the signs, but you don't know how to help F- from being like, and I know your family situation was different than what a lot of people see, but what would you have wanted them to know? Like it's okay to, or I think a really big one is it's okay to talk to the individual that you think is struggling because there were a lot of moments. I know that friends would talk to other friends about me or friends, parents or administrators or coaches or whoever they talk to people around me about me. And even if I would have lied to them, like if they had said, Taylor, are you okay? Taylor, let's talk. I'm noticing some things. Even if I would have lied, it would have told me that there are people out there that care and that see. And I think that a lot of times people don't want to make it worse by talking to somebody that's struggling. They don't want to call attention to it. But by talking to the person that's struggling, you're not putting any new ideas in their head. Um, You're not giving them any fuel for their eating disorder. You're simply letting them know that you're there and you see that there's something wrong. And so I think that's just the biggest, most important thing parents can do is talk to their child or talk to their loved one rather than talking to other people about them. Mm-hmm. That's that's helpful. That's not what I expected you to say. That's really, really good. That's rich. Thank you. So you are now walking in freedom from your eating disorder. Um, how is God using, how has he used and how is he using this freedom to impact his kingdom? So I think a big way is just giving me the wherewithal to be stable and confident enough in my own recovery to volunteer for organizations like Finding Balance, um, to be able to put my strengths and my gifts into an organization that does so much for God's kingdom and also that does so much for people that are struggling with eating disorders. So using my story in ways that um, I never expected I'd be able to use my story. Um, And also with my family, um, being a mom that's role modeling healthy behaviors instead of continuing on that generational that generational curse of diet culture so helping people outside of our family and inside of our family i think is a way that god's really using my healed self amazing and you are willing thank you for being willing on behalf of uh, this organization of finding balance thank you and and on behalf of every listener and anyone that comes to finding balance for some kind of resource or help prayer 
thank you for being willing. Every single person that works with us, with our organization, who has struggled, we've all had to make make hard choices. We've all had to do the hard work and apply tools. And there are times that we still struggle because we're human, right? We're human. Right. We still struggle from time to time. And we know who the battle belongs to. And we're seeking Jesus to walk with us through this and um, and to continue helping us help others. And it's not always easy. You know, it's like I, I go back to this this um, visual often is that when you're in a plane and they're giving this spiel about, um, you know, your oxygen mask will drop down. Be sure to put yours on first so then you can help other people. Like we want to just help everyone else all the time. But what about us? Like we have to take care of ourselves first so we can help others. And that that includes being still. Girl, I have a hard time being still. Like, I always want music on. I always want something going on. Right. I want to be scrolling. No, I'm actually, like, so tired of scrolling. I want to throw my phone in the ocean. There on the ocean floor. <laughs> the ocean floor. Remember the song? Another you another old school. You could just old go school. up and like, get a um, Motorola Razor. Just get one of those. Oh, oh flip so i can flip yes. the phone open and slam it shut <laughs> exactly so old school love it well let's wrap up our show today taylor describe the last time you experienced true freedom i honestly think just a few days ago um my daughter is in the stage where she likes naming body parts sometimes to an embarrassing extent um <laughs> but right now her obsession in addition to toes are bellies And so she's constantly wanting us to show her our bellies. And even, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh my gosh, you can't see my stomach. But it's just so cool to show her, like, all bodies look different. Um, All bellies look different, that is. (laughs) And that's okay. And we we always tell her, you know, we love your belly. Um, And it's just cool to be able to give that positive affirmation to our daughter at such a young age. Now, I I hope she doesn't continue showing complete strangers her belly as she gets older. But (laughs) um, it's great right now. And so just the true freedom of knowing that this is my body right now is exactly as it is and that's okay oh and it's never too early to do what you're doing like that is so so good i'm so proud of you yay applause all around from me taylor thanks for being on the show i loved having you yes thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening to the Old School Food Freedom Podcast. For over 20 years, Finding Balance has been helping people walk in freedom by discovering where Jesus fits into their struggles with food and body image. If you want more biblical truth and encouragement, head on over to FindingBalance.com and subscribe to our free daily vitamin devotional. While you're there, explore our Christ-centered, lasting freedom online course and small group tools. You can help keep this ministry going by donating today at FindingBalance.com. See you next time. The content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or prescribe a particular course of action. If you or someone you care about is battling an eating disorder and is experiencing unmanageable thoughts or feelings, please call 911 if in the U.S. or visit your nearest emergency room.